Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 312. Um, and this week I'm joined by Graham Fellows, a.k.a. John Shuttleworth, and many other AKAs. I list them at the beginning of the chat. Before we get into it, though, I want to say thank you so much for all the love for last week's episode. It was, man, it was a pretty special one. Um, I was joined by Michael Cashman, and a lot of people were already aware of him and excited about it, and a lot of people weren't familiar with him, but were blown away by the episode. It's honestly one of the biggest reactions I've got um, on the social media channels um, about any of the chats. So, yeah, thank you for that. But this week's guest is incredibly exciting. Um, He's in the middle of a tour at the moment. I'll, I'll run through his full kind of the remainder of his tour dates at the end, but I'll just tell you now that um, if you listen to this on the Wednesday, this week he's in Salford, Newcastle, Scunthorpe, and then next week uh, Wakefield, Margate, Brighton, London, Leicester Square Theatre, Monday the 2nd of March till the 3rd of March, and a load of other places. And I also want to tell you that, again, if you're listening on the Wednesday, his new book, Two Margarines and Other Domestic Dilemmas, John Shuttleworth's Guide to Everyday Life, comes out tomorrow on February 20th. We talk about all of these things in the podcast and in the conversation. We talk about where we first met, um, the cupboard that we shared for a month, um, or a number of weeks at least, um, and other things like that. So let's just jump into the chat, right? Um Obviously, always brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy stuff from me. Um, This week actually should be the week that the limited edition clear glow-in-the-dark vinyl of the Distraction Pieces album comes out in in the Speech Development Records web store. If it's not there already, if you go and have a look, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. If it's not there already, it'll be there by the end of the week, hopefully. Um, and obviously patreon.com slash pip is where you can get previews, little behind the scenes things. But in in reality, it's just a way to support the podcast if you want to in a small way. It's a dollar a month. You can pay more, but there's no extra tiers or anything. It's just a dollar a month or whatever you want to give a month because you feel it's worth it. But no pressure on that. Um, I'd much rather you spend that money on going and catching John Shuttleworth's uh, return to the stage on this current tour or his return to to literature in his book uh two margarines and other domestic dilemmas oh and also before i go into it i'm going to give you a bonus podcast on friday i'm gonna give you a chat with rich wilson uh comedian and podcaster i'm a big fan of his insane in the membrane podcast and i saw his his friend show and i thought he was wonderful and he's got a soho theater run coming up so we're going to have a chat and i'll give you that on friday so let's hear from graham fellows slash john shuttleworth slash many other things on episode 312 of the distraction pieces podcast So I've 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 started rolling as we're still kind okay. of setting things up. Um, I'm joined today by Graham Fellows, aka John Shuttleworth, aka Brian Appleton, aka Dave Tordoff. 
Is that correct? Going further back, a.k.a.? Jilted John. Yeah. 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 So a, a lot of a.k.a.'s in there. Um, I'm delighted to, to have you on for a chat. I've followed a lot of your different stuff over the years, but let's start with that we kind of met in a cupboard, essentially, because we the, the, the backstage area of the Pleasant's Ace Dome at the Pleasant's at the Fringe is kind of a cupboard. Yeah, it was um, very much a cupboard. And we were sh- sharing that because your show was on before mine and then we were, yeah, you were getting in and out of costume as I was kind of pacing about nervously. And I was I was pacing nervously. T- oh, I, you, who was on first? So you were on first. Right, so I, I was, was coming yeah. off a bit sweaty and yeah. no longer nervous, just a yeah, bit uh, frustrated over. that I wasn't any better. Than, <laughs> um, but yeah, so at, at that Fringe run, you were doing Brian Appleton and it was the first time I'd, I'd, I'd seen him. How do you kind of... Uh, we were discussing this before we got started, but uh, what's your relationship uh, with The Fringe? It's a, it's, a, it's an unusual beast, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. I, I, I mean, I used to have a very strong relationship with The Fringe. I, 92 was the, my first Fringe, and it was my, my best. I nearly won the Perrier Award. Wow. Um, I, I was nominated anyway. But there was some very stiff competition, including Steve Coogan and Joe Brown and Mark Thomas. Yeah, that's um, a hell of a, a, yeah. a, a, but, a group to be in, right? Yeah, but I, that was my most memorable fringe. And I did it for quite a few years, actually. Uh, but as we were discussing before we pressed record, it's sort of it's very much a young person's thing. And uh, you, you can get sort of swept away by the sheer size of it. And, and I personally felt a sense of diminishing returns with it. And not emotionally, I found it quite taxing and, and yeah. a bit soul-destroying. Even when you had a good run with people coming, it, it's just, you feel insignificant. And um, performers don't like to feel insignificant. Yeah. So so I don't do it very often now. But I I, I, I did a, a show last, two years ago, as myself, on the free fringe for the first time. First time doing a show out of character. Yeah. And it was called Completely Out of Character. You know, and it was a free show and it, i did it to test myself and i'm really glad i did but i'm not sure i'd do it again yeah how i quite like that? the comfort of people paying a lot of money to see me yeah it's it's, it's nice but again it's uh, they're they're invested in in the night and the performance then it's not just some random people who've strolled in off the street so yeah there is a difference in the even j- j- just in the tone from the start you know it, it, you may have a full room but you don't know if they have any idea who you are. They're already, and particularly, I guess more so. Oh no! It, in any s- a situation when you've had a career of multiple characters and multiple different things, the more they know about you, the better, in a way. Yes, I think most of the people who came to see me did have an inkling of what they were going to get, or uh, or at least they knew my past work. Yeah, and so we're we're, we're invested to some extent. But I I think it's great to do to play to an audience that isn't necessarily won over by the fact that they've paid 20 quid to see you already. Yeah. And I think when people do that, they actually are on your side because they've spent the money. They're determined to have a good time so you can get away with more. Yeah. And that shouldn't be like that. The more they pay, the better you should be and the harder it should be. But yeah, but I completely um, agree. But we, we, like most people who do a free show, I had a little, little technique whereby if they, paid £10 on the way out, they got a free CD. You yeah. Know? You've got to do little things like that. Yeah. And that worked pretty well. How do you, have you found over the years 
presenting a new character. It's something like The Fringe, but then I guess it applies to touring in general because John Shuttleworth is is an iconic character, and I said that's who you had the success with in in '92. Is that correct? Yeah, um, at The Fringe. So because there is so much variation and so many options up there. People are half glancing at a poster or a sign or listings. They're not necessarily going in the details bit. They're saying this is a character from Graham Fellows, previous this, this, this. They might just be scrolling through and going, I don't know who that is, on to the next one. How do you find that as a as a thing to overcome, I guess? I think with Edinburgh, that's what makes it difficult. But that's why I say it's a young person's game, because if you're inexperienced and excited and don't mind sleeping on a floor, then it's, uh, you, in a way, you don't have any expectations. You're going to have a good time and you're going to learn a lot from from doing a show uh, for three weeks to sometimes difficult crowds. But I suppose I've been doing stand-up now for 30, I don't know, how long is it? 92. Well, I was doing I was doing John Shuttleworth in gigs in 86, you yeah. know, 87. Wow. So it's uh, over 30 years now. But I suppose you build up your following and you get a little bit spoiled because people come and they and they know you, so you've got you've got your crowd. So I think the fringe for me anyway is, is I like to it, it's a bit of a test to toughen you up as a performer because yeah. you get spoiled just playing to your own crowd. And I'm about to do that again. I'm about to go on tour, big fifty plus date tour, and people are paying and most of them know what they're coming to get. But it's great when people come up after and say, I hadn't seen you before and I didn't know what to expect. I loved it, you know, which is just seem to happen still. Yeah. I, th- I think it's great as well, particularly when you've had a career that spans that amount of time. There will still be people who, like particularly with a character like John Sh- Sh- Shuttleworth, who you've taken some time off from, there will be people who have been introduced to him in that time, who have found out about him in that time, that will be new to to the live a performance of it all so that must be an exciting thing to go it's not just obviously it's great to have your regular and loyal audience Mm -hmm. but as you said it's so much more exciting at points to have the people that they've brought along or that they've said you've got to come to this show or i was talking to kevin smith on the podcast recently he was saying he's had a lot where it's people who are bringing their children along who have got into it and they've bonded over a, a yeah. shared uh, yeah. taste in comedy and things like that. That's, that's I get a massive quite a, thing, I right? get quite a bit of that, yeah. and uh, I like that. And uh, it, it does happen more with, with me, perhaps, than other some comedians because my act is squeaky clean. There's not a swear word in yeah. sight. Yeah. And um, I used to do a song called Up and Down Like a Bride's Nighty right. <laughs> when I was a, a younger man, and I thought that was... Um, I don't think John would sing that, you see, now. Yeah. Really. Or if he... Do, I do do it occasionally uh, in the encore, but I the way I justify it is that John doesn't really understand what he's saying. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, for people who, who, who don't know, obviously John Sh- Sh- Shuttleworth is, a, is an iconic character. Explain him to anyone who doesn't, who may not know who John is. Well... The best way to do that is to tell you how it, how he, he came into being, which was in, in 85, I'd just signed a, re, a publishing deal for my songs because I yeah. was a serious songwriter and that's what I wanted to be. I'd, I'd been, I went to drama school, I, I did acting for quite a few years and the acting work was drying up. Meanwhile, I'd had this big hit, Jilted John, yeah. better known as Gordon is a Moron, 
1978. And that had sort of switched me on to songwriting. And, and I was always writing songs, even like in the wings, waiting to go on to do a play. I'd be sort of honing a lyric, which is a bit disastrous when you're yeah. about to go on and do a big yeah. Shakespeare speech. I've got this other idea. <laughs> yeah. This is all, all well and good, William, but I've got a few things I'm toying with at That's the moment. That's it. But so, so I was... It's it's a very it's a lovely happy accident actually that I created this character that married music and acting, in, yeah. and and what happened was I signed this deal and the A and R guys and they were they were all men I don't know if they are now but they all seem to be men and they got a bit bored listening to uh, to normal stuff so they used to get these what they call turkey tapes you know which were like really bad demos that right wannabe performers of the ilk of john shuttleworth were sending in and i remember one this guy was playing the keyboard and you could hear someone washing up in the background yeah I love it. <laughs> and then there was another one a guy called ross cochran who we speculated he might be an amateur dj but he put a lot of reverb on and 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 at the end of the his song reel, he would say, "Thank you very much for listening to my songs. If there's anything of interest, please get in contact. If you wish to change any of the lyrics or the tunes, that's fine. That can be done." You know, and it was it. so sad that he'd yeah. said that. It, it was like he was so accommodating. Here's my offering, but also change anything you want. <laughs> yeah, here's and my art, but hope you like it. If you don't, we can do something well, different. I guess he thought he was being very businesslike about it yeah. because, you know, that does happen. A publisher will say, you know, well, ditch the second verse and go straight yeah. to the chorus kind of thing. So I, I was inspired to create my own turkey tape, and that's how John Shortworth started. I made my own tape at home. I sent it into this publisher friend, and uh, one I particularly wanted to tease, and they loved it, and they gradually uh, clocked it was uh, me because uh, I think I did another follow-up tape. Now, what happened now is suddenly all my serious songs that I'd been working on, my Graham Fellows love ballads, and uh, it was a bit sort of indie uh, indie pop, yeah. mid-80s, this was. Um, and I had an album called Love at the Hacienda, which that song was about, the, the nightclub in Manchester. Yeah. And um, it was well well received, and uh, it still is now. It's a big, iconic, to use the word you've been using yeah. a few times about me, uh, it's an iconic record in Japan, and uh, Amazing. The, the vinyl can exchange for 200 quid. But um, my grandfather stuff was totally back burner instantly. John Shaw, we want John Shaw with tapes. Now, I was delighted to do that, but uh, a few years later, I suddenly thought, shit, I'm not, uh, I'm not making it as a songwriter. I've, I've now, killed the, my own career. But my, the, the real me, John has killed my... I've invented yeah. the person who's killed my own... But the nice, <laughs> there's a nice little irony there, because, of course, John Shuttleworth is a failed songwriter. Yeah. He can't... He's not successful. In his world, the Sheffield ex-security guard, ex-comet audio salesman... Yeah. Uh, he wanted to be on toasters at one point, but... Uh, but anyway, he... Um, <laughs> He's a failure, yeah, and, and it was like I was a failure. But of course, John Shortworth did take off, and it was a very slow build-up. I for the first two or three years, I was just making my tapes, you know, yeah, and and I did the odd gig. I, there were two phases of Shortworth, really. The first one, I had lots of toys on top of the keyboard. It, it was, um, and I had a tape of the backing tracks, which right. I played on a tape recorder underneath my keyboard, hidden. It was a shell of an old Farfisa. Organ. And and I just pressed play on the cassette, which was wired up to the PA, mimed along on this dummy keyboard, and these clockwork 
Do you remember those dogs that you get in the market that go, yeah, 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 yeah. You did the flip. I used to have that, and I used to have a robot and a little baby in a walk-in frame. And the idea behind that was, was um, well, it was to stop people. It was to be funny, I yeah. guess, uh, and it was to amuse a drunken, heavy rock audience because that was the audiences that I was playing. I, wow. Yeah. And I even supported Robert Plant Amazing. from Led Zeppelin at one point on his comeback gig. But that all ended because it wasn't really going anywhere and, and, and it needed more substance. It was a 20-minute act. It was vaudeville. Yeah. And, and and I had a few personal setbacks, like my mum died and uh, mm-hmm. uh, my dog died, you know, and uh, I just, it all collapsed and it took a long, I went back to acting and did a couple of years in rep mm-hmm. and we're, we're now early 90s and that's when I uh, suddenly started thinking of him as a comedy act uh, on the stand-up scene. Yeah. And then, well, meanwhile, I'd built up John's back, his world of his wife, Mary, his next-door neighbour, Ken Worthington, who was on New Faces in 1973. Yeah. He came last, but it was definitely him. Uh, <laughs> Scroobius, you know. Because I saw that particular edition. You might have been too young, or maybe you're out on your space opera, <laughs> enjoying what remained of that sunny evening. So it became, it became sort of more poetical, and, and uh, it wasn't, oh, that robot's just fallen off. Uh, pick it up, lad. It became a much more yeah. Alan Bennett-y sort of Mike Lee world of uh, uh, monologue. It was a monologue. Yeah. And then the songs uh, punk, you were in between the, the chat. That must have been a really interesting and exciting development from your side of it because at first, it's yeah, they're, they're, particularly at that era, there was what is the place for comedy songs? Where do they sit? They they might do well in the charts, but they're not going to be in the enemy or, or respected or whatever else. Yet mm. again, at that point, we'd gone past the the vaudeville or cabaret shows that had a mixture of music and comedy and stuff like that. Stand up was had 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 its 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 alternative stand up kind of boom, where it was all very much people with a microphone and things like that. So that must have been great to find. It's not just the songs; it's the gaps in between the songs. It's the stories that l- link the songs. It's the stories that got John to the gig that day and things like that, yeah. that, that become as important, if not more important th- than the songs themselves. So coming from acting, that, that, that must've been a nice thing to go, right. It's, it's a, it's a piece rather than a gig, if you know what I mean, or a set. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just it just changed. It, 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 in a way, it broadened what I could do. Um, I, I stopped supporting heavy rock bands and started yeah. doing places like the Chuckle Club and uh, the Meccano Club, the Red Rose. This is because I was living in London. Um, I'd had a stint at being a milkman, and um, do you know I didn't get a single glimpse of negligee? Uh, it's it's it, poorly misrepresented in advertising it's, it's not the life it's claimed to be no no but I, so I, I you know I, I i started making a living doing a, a small living making uh, as john shuttleworth um doing doing the circuit but i soon realized i couldn't play everywhere you know there's the club jongleurs yeah uh, with the chicken and the basket sort of audience who who need knob gags and uh, they weren't really going to warm to, to show with it because I made him a very real person. So, um, I didn't send it up too much. It was, you know, I wanted it to be a faithful rendition of, of a man yeah. who was a bit rubbish, but was eternally optimistic and, and a, a nice man, you know? 
Um, but he, he just wanted to play his songs on the organ and uh, and explain that, oh, it, um, you know, I sent a tape to uh, Paul Young of this song, but uh, I forgot to put Dolby on. So it was a bit hissy, you know. So I presume that's why he sent it me back. You know, and yeah. so, so it, people, audiences had to just have a little bit of a leap of um, intelligence or faith. They had to, it, you know, it wasn't in-your-face comedy. It drew you in. Yeah, it wasn't if you wanted to be drawn a in. slapsticky character. It was, it was keeping it. him at it a, a reality level and finding that, yeah. that humour within it. And if people didn't want to be drawn in, then they'd just start chattering. Yeah. And that was, that was what I feared in my early gigs when I wasn't really known. Occasionally, you know, you get off your crap, you can't sing, uh, and, you know... John can't. Well, he yeah, he's got better. He's got a nice. Sometimes I think as John, I sound a bit Tom Waitsy actually, because there's a you know, especially when I sing, I can't go back to Savory now. Do you know that one? I don't know that. Well, one, that's John's sort of biggest hit, really, yeah. apart from Pigeons in Flight. Can't go back to Savory now. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a Tom Waits little yeah, there, isn't there? There yeah. he is. Um, but but I just you know, I guess I had to learn my craft. I mean, I'd been an actor, so I was applying those rules, and. I couldn't really play the keyboard. Some would argue I, I still can't particularly, but that's okay because John isn't that good. So I play to the best of my ability on, on the keyboard. And I use the same keyboard I've been using since 93. It's a, a kid's organ, basically. It's a Yamaha PSS-51. I love it. And it's got the mini keys. And that's nice because it means I've got quite big hands and occasion, well, quite often I play the wrong note, you know? Yeah. I play a bum note. And, and audiences love it and they think, oh, he's so clever. He's so clever. He's, he's done that Les Dawson <laughs> thing and played the book. But yeah. it's it's not deliberate. It's just yeah. what happens. I love that. I mean, that's kind of the benefit of writing a character like this. I mean, I, I guess particularly in those early days of opening for, like, rock bands and stuff like that, how was it writing a character that essentially, if you nail it, it hasn't gone that well? Mm. If you know what I mean? Because I've seen it with Brian Gittins, who I brought on tour with me once, and Neil Hamburger and people like that. The point is they're not very good. Mm-hmm. But if, but before you're in a stand-up situation where people are aware that it's not meant to be good and can appreciate it on that extra level, you're going out and kind of the aim is to make people a little bit, mm-hmm. or a lot of the crowd going, this guy's ridiculous, like l- l- laughing at him and not realising that they're laughing with you. Yeah, if that makes sense. So, how was that as a as a thing? Well, it, it was a learning curve, and uh, it got easier the uh, the more developed the act got. But I do remember pops in the early nineties doing a gig in Glasgow, and um, they always say Glasgow is the toughest crowd, don't they? Yeah. But there were I, four people sort of noisily walked out from the gallery, and uh, I heard later that they demanded their money back because I couldn't. You know, they weren't going to watch someone who couldn't sing, and it was just so awful. Yeah, but that. In a way, was confirmation that the character was still believable, you know. Yeah. But I guess it, it is to some extent a piece of theatre, and, you know, and an audience has to. It works best when they know the joke that they yeah. know the guy isn't very good, but he is good as well because the songs are good songs, and I think yeah. that's why it's lasted this long because uh, I can't go back to Savory now. is is a is a, a real truism, you yeah. know. You have your main course. And then you have your pudding, you can't go back to your main yeah. Another big favourite uh, <laughs> that people love is uh, Two Margarines on the Go. Yeah. It's the nightmare scenario. And, you know, the idea of having two margarines open in your fridge. Yeah. To John, that is the worst thing 
possible. I love it because it's taking genuine pop sensibilities and applying them to observational comedy, essentially, if, mm. if that makes sense. It is stuff that everyone can relate to, but stuff that no one would write a song about other than, than John, which no. makes it that kind of... If it was only one or the other, it wouldn't work, if you know mm. what I mean. If it was just a song that's about something relatable, but it's shit, mm. it wouldn't work. It needs to have those hooks and everything else that, that works, and, and, and vice versa. It was a great song, but it was just... Mm. A bad pop song, I guess it wouldn't. It wouldn't yeah, sit I mean, there either. So it's the balance of the two. I think you're right. I mean, I, when I started writing for John, it was a little bit self-conscious. I was thinking this has got to be a crap song. So, you know, like Pigeons in Flight <clears throat> was deliberately the, the lyric was slightly off kilter. So he goes, Pigeons in Flight. I mean, the Pigeons in Flight. You know, it should be Doves, of course, doesn't it? Yeah. Pigeons in Flight. I want to see you tonight. I want to hold you, if I may be so bold to, and tell you some things that you'd like to hear, oh, my dear, in your ear. You know, it's really <laughs> clunky. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's clunky. But a few years later, I've, I was wanting John's songs to be better. And, and what happened was I'd, I'd write a song for myself in my downtime from Shuttleworth. I'd write, because I still had ambitions, you know, with my own songs. And, the, and then I'd think, well, I wrote a song called The Man Who Lives on the M62. You know, the guy on the farm. Do you know that motorway? Right, yeah. To Manchester. And it's a farm. Right. And and it's a metaphor for how you make a mistake, but it's too late. You, you, you've let the motorway be built yeah. around yeah. your farm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and I thought, well, I, I'll give it to John. So I gave John this beautiful, uh, it's like leaving on a jet plane. I nick, yeah. the, I nick the tune slightly. Feel like the man who lives on that farm which sits in the middle of the M62. Thought it would be all right. Now I can't sleep at night. Some things you cannot undo. And, you know, it's a nice tune with a good, not a bad lyric. Yeah. But that's how John's songs have become. They're good songs, you know. Yeah. But they're about something that, like you say, normal self-respecting rock stars wouldn't sing about. Well, that's an interesting kind of area to look at then, because you did, as said, you had chart success with Jilted John, um, played by John Peel, and, you know, it was it was respected as, as, as what it was and things like that. What was the decision to go in the direction that you were going in? Was there a right, I, I need to stick with stuff that I'm trying to get in the charts... Or I need to go to stuff that I'm trying to get in the clubs and in the venues and in the, you know, up and down the country on tours. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't go back to Savory Now was a single. And we reached yeah. number 96 yeah. in the top 100. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the second time I was in the charts. Yeah. John got to number four. Yeah. And sold half a million. And yeah. um, so I think it was, it was a very hard act to follow, Jilted John. And um, just going back to that, it was the right time. You know, if I brought that out now, it would just disappear because right. I suspect, and I, I don't understand the charts now. I don't understand. It, I, it, we're talk, I was talking about this the other night with a songwriter friend. It, it's got to be used for an advert or a film, hasn't it? And then it yeah. becomes successful. But but then it was still a very good time for for novelty songs to come out. Mm-hmm. The Baron Knights were still regularly getting. Mm-hmm songs in the charts where they would just do a, a comic parody of a song that was already in the charts. You know, the pop single was just so respected as a as an art form. 
and and it was a, it was a lovely thing. You know, DJs would say, "Oh, I've just got the I've got the new single here from Racy," and <laughs> I don't know why I chose Racy. Can't stand Racy, but John <laughs> loves them, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you'd play it, and then you'd and and you'd listen to it, and then you'd hear it a few hours later, and there were playlists, and it was a very exciting time. So it was a good time for John to be picked up, and it was a certain amount of luck, certain amount of naivety that on my part, even thinking it. I just didn't see any obstacles. I, you know, I made the demo with my friend Bernard in in, in his bedsit in Manchester, with him tapping out the melody, the the, the rhythm on a, a Monopoly box. Amazing! And all the pieces, you know, inside were providing a lovely rattle, like you, you know, the, the snare yeah. on a snare drum. And uh, we didn't use that in the. But anyway, I took that to a, a, a. Well, I made another demo for twenty-five quid, and then took that to the only punk label I'd heard of in Manchester, Rabid Records, because I don't think Factory Records were, were up and running then. Right. Uh, and they just put out the Buzzcock Spiral Scratch. Martin Hannett had produced it. He was the, you know, uh, the legendary uh, producer, sadly no longer with us. And so he was the one that was chosen to, to he was the only, he was their in-house producer and he, and he produced Jill John. And um, it all just sort of came together really naturally. And um, yeah, yeah. It was good fun. Good, key, good days. It's key there, the, the, the not knowing the limits or boundaries. I mm. think that's one of the key things for so many things artistically is not, not having the knowledge to question it rather yeah. than going, well, I could never do this or never do that. You go, Ooh, Well, you were like I that when, when I met you in that yeah. cupboard. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were still quite fresh and new, yeah, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. And, and uh, look at you now with your big podcast yeah exactly but i think that's a it's a massive thing i think there's so much now and it's something i want to talk about as well because particularly in working class areas there's so much that's that we're told is out of our reach or have traditionally been told is out of our reach so you were you in sheffield did you i grew up in sheffield yeah yeah so so was that kind of era of the punk scene blowing up and people doing it for themselves was that an inspiration to get into mm. whether it's acting or music or comedy or all these things because again th- there's a lot of those areas that you might have had your your working man's cl- club comics but that's not n- n- no young man l- looks at the working man's club comics which were normally in their their f- 50s or 40s or whatever else it goes oh i could be that because it's it's an older guy. So w- there's so much in those areas that you're not told at that age, oh, you can be in entertainment or you can be in this or you can be in that. So, 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 so yeah, what inspired you and what drew you to go, I want to do acting, I want to do music, I want to do all of these things? Well, yeah, I just, I just uh, didn't see any obstacles. I mean, I was in school plays from a young age and uh, – I, it's funny just mentioning the Working Men's Club. I used to work behind the bar in the Working Men's Club, and I'm sure right. some of the characters I met there informed John Shuttleworth. You know, that, that yeah. sort of very steady. Uh, uh, there was an early review of John Shuttleworth, which actually was in the Melody Maker, and and I loved it because it said the schoolmaster John Shuttleworth is the schoolmaster who could never be phased. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, because he's just deadpan. It's just. Yeah. What do you mean, lad? You know. In fact, I used to get heckles early on, like get off your. your you're rubbish or, or ruder words than that. I said, excuse me, don't interrupt. Uh, do you talk to your parents like that? And, of course, that wasn't a very good put-down. Yeah. <laughs> go, fuck up. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, it, it was all happened very accidentally, organically. It, as I say, it was naivety. It was just that thing of, well, you know, just do it. And I, and I think 
I hopefully young people still feel the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with YouTubing and blogging and... Uh, it's just a shame that Top of the Pops was taken off. I've got a theory about what happened there. Right. Uh, and I blame one man, Michael Hurl. Right. Who was the producer. And he basically turned... Or the people around him did, just in case I get sued. The team that ran Top of the Pops changed the whole ethos of it. So right. you go back to the 60s and think about, like, the uh, the Rolling Stones playing... Um, songs and you had the audience looking up and, and adoring them and, and yeah. they were involved but they weren't sort of clapping along and, and they introduced like a whoop track didn't they in right. the 80s it happened with sort of disco and everything. suddenly they you didn't have the record on its own you had you had people clapping and then an audience going whoo yeah whoo. and uh, what happened there is, is the song uh, gets diminished and it, it becomes less serious and less meaningful the song just becomes a backdrop to a party. Yeah. I think Bob the, Top of the Pops started to become, it's a party. And that, therefore, the songs lo- lo- lost their meaning. And, their, you know, we used to, every single that came out, it had, it's got a massive backstory, you know. It would have spent, taken months to write and produce and, Oh, they got the bass player, he got ill, and then there's a whole, there's a whole story yeah. behind every record. And and singles lost their importance, and Top of the Pops contributed to that. And and that's why I think the BBC were able to say, well, it's not a very important programme anymore, let's act it. And that helped to kill the single yeah. and the charts, and it's a tragedy. It's really interesting, because uh, we've... Can I just say, though, to my, to my age group, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Maybe younger people are saying... Well, no, it's not, because it allowed YouTubing, blogging, all that to come through. And if the charts were still, and Top of the Pops were still reigning supreme, that wouldn't have happened, I don't Yeah, know. arguably, but I, I, I think it's a really interesting point, though. We've, uh, I was listening to someone talking recently about producing and televising live sports events. So whether that be... American football, it was an America thing, whether it be American football, boxing, wrestling, all of these different things, is on TV you want to make it look like the biggest party and you want to be there. But that's because they're trying to sell tickets for every other game and live events. Top of the Pops aren't trying to sell tickets for Top of the Pops. They should be trying to sell singles. Yes. So trying to make it this destination, look how great it is here, all you're doing is alienating the people in the living room who can't be there, who can't go, who aren't at a party, Mm. and it it diminishes it. Whereas I think you're right, prior to that, if you're at home, you're getting to hear this song, you're getting to hear this single, and that's what it's about. You're connecting to the song, to the single, to the artist, to the band, rather than go watching a party that you weren't invited to mm. and kind of feeling alienated. So, yeah. I don't really I like parties. It's definitely an one. I always get anxious if I'm invited to a party. Oh, I'm the same. I'm not a fan yeah. at all. I can enjoy them once I'm there. Yeah. Um, I but I do spend them. a lot of time in the kitchen. I can enjoy them once I've left. But once I've looked... How can what, you do that? Well, while I'm there, I'm const- even if I'm having the best time, I'm constantly thinking... Uh, uh, have I been here long enough to head home yet? Or what time should I leave? Or is it okay? Is anyone going to be offended? And once I'm gone, I can go, oh, I really enjoyed that part. And I really enjoyed it. But in the moment, I'm rarely having this amazing time because I'm constantly thinking of, of when I can leave. I'm, I'm just do, not a do party you have, uh, When's the last time you had your own party? 
I honestly can't remember the last time I had my own party. <laughs> Have you ever had one? Um, I moved into my current house maybe five or six years ago, and I didn't have a housewarming party of any sorts. Um, the closest I've had is occasionally having family over f- for a birthday. But yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not a party guy. How about you? Are you well, are you a host? No, I'm not. But but it's funny because I, I, I'm renting a flat in Leicester with my girlfriend. I've, I've discovered. Uh, the city again after years of being in a small market town in in Lincolnshire, mm. which interestingly has informed a lot of the world of John Shuttleworth because yeah. although he's from Sheffield, the kind of uh, the world that he talks about and which people seem to love is 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 kind of a bit cuter and a bit more yeah. bucolic and old fashioned and it's um, it's Louth in Lincolnshire. But anyway, I've discovered the city again, lovely bustling, multicultural city of Leicester. And we're going to have a, a flat warming, but I'm suddenly getting very anxious about yeah. it because um, it's all right going to, uh, well, it's bad enough going to other parties where, yeah, you might not enjoy it, but to throw your own party, you know, it's, it's hard work, but we're going to do it. But we're mm. arguing about the volivons. I, I only knew that there were mushroom volivons, but my girlfriend says, well, apparently, what are you talking about? There's There's egg and there's... I can't remember the other. There's loads of different types. Do you know many types of volivon? I'm 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 not I'm not hugely well versed in in volivons. At school, I had an art teacher, and he felt that art was the most important subject of all. And art was always after French for me. And he would always get angry if we were late for art because French had overrun. And he would say angrily, "The only French you ever need, and the only French you will remember, is voulez-vous ou volivon." Yeah. That's all you need to know. And that's the only French that stuck with me was completely right. But also, that's my only real interaction with with Volivon. So you've never actually had one? I don't think I have, you know. As a youth, I was a very picky eater. I generally mm. ate m- m- meat, cheese, and the wide variety of, of potatoes. Other than that, there wasn't a lot going on. So, yeah. The wide variety of potatoes? Yes. They, I mean, p- potatoes should be... I feel it should be its own food group because of... Chips, um, oh, I mash. I thought you uh, meant different, like Jersey Royal or... A, no, 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 no. I mean, no. You, we can go even further there, but still, sweet potatoes still count in there, and there's... Yeah, I think lovely. there's so much that I had some last night. They're yeah. lovely, aren't they? Different, it's a different vegetable. And, and I feel that a roast potato feels incredibly different to, for example, mash or a potato waffle, for example. They're, I think there's such a great versatility an instant mash within as the well. potato yeah that's do you like instant mash because sometimes that that can be a, a lovely change I, I find i became a fan of when i first got my own flat i became a big fan of f- frozen mash that, that it's like little mm. it looks like little pellets that you put a load of them in in the microwave the microwave and you've got this wonderful wow i've never discovered that. yeah I'll have to try that. But, you know, let's, let's not abandon the topic of volivons so quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I seriously think that they are endangered. Yeah, I um, agree. Because as a kid, I used to see volivons all the time. And I suspect, I've never made them, but they're probably quite hard to make. There's a lot yeah. of effort in there. Uh, and I went to a funeral funeral recently. I thought, well, that's the last bastion of, of the volivon. You're going to find lots of volivons on, on the table, yeah. along with the quiche. And there were no volivons. Yeah. And I just so we're definitely going to have volivons at our party. Well, volivons are the, are the are the Edinburgh fringe of the snack world. It's just <laughs> a diminishing return. There's so much competition. Yeah. Then what's the point in you know if if there's an option of cocktail sausages or, or all of these other spread options? 
It's tough, I think. It is, but but then Volavons are disappearing. I think what are making a massive comeback. It's a, it's a sort of gradual comeback. In my to my perception is the custard cream biscuit. Yeah. Because when I go around to people's houses, I'm seeing them on a plate. They're being offered to me. And they're not they're not going to go away. And I've got a theory. Well, we're going back to John Shuttleworth now. Um, I'm not particularly doing... I don't tend to do John unless I'm dressed up as him. But I could slip into yeah, him yeah. for the audio. Well, you know, I think John's obsessed about the, the, why the custard cream is doing so well. It's the diamond, isn't it, at Pip? Called his Scrooby's head. I'm going to call you Pip because it's less trouble. It is. But it, the diamond shape. People can mine a diamond, can't they, when they have a custard cream? Because you have to eat the edges and leave the diamond in the middle. Yeah, but, makes sense. But it's worthless. You know, you can't um, put it in a ring or anything like that. You still have to eat it. But I just think it uh, adds to its value. It's true. Yeah, that's work in progress. I haven't. I just know I, I want because I'm working on my 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 new show. And yeah, I've just got a little in my notes. It says. Talk about custard creams. And I just thought I'd try it out on you. But it's perfect. It needs like honing. It. I like it. No, it's true because it's 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 mining something that ultimately in the end is a disappointment because it's 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 a custard diamond. It's the diamond is in fact the bit that's missing, if you know what I mean. Because you're mining something that's not there. Well, it but, is there. It, the, the diamond is very. It, it, you see, if it was a square. The biscuit would have failed many years ago. Nobody would be interested. It's true, it's true. It's subconscious, you know. Yeah. But that diamond is what draws people to the custard cream. I like it. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. I see a resurgence. I also see a resurgence in, in custard tarts of recent Oof. time. I thought they were gone. And then I'm seeing more and more. I'm Particularly in, like, cool little artisan bakeries yes. and stuff like that. Not You're right. The, the custard tart I grew up with, but still. Yeah. I didn't know what they were for ages. Like, oh, what are these things? And... I've realised, oh, that's just a fancy custard tart. I thought they but were... But in, instead of costing 80p, they cost £5.95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they taste fairly similar, which is a, but do you a still, challenge. Are you a Londoner? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm out in Essex. Okay. I, I've lived in the same small town my whole life, in Stamfordly Hope. So I, I've got that s- similar small town feel of everything and familiarity and weird nuances. yeah. No, because I just suddenly, uh, the, the Pioneer shops, you know, because yep. I had that once and I nearly threw up. You yeah. Know? And some people love it, but it, uh, pie and mash, not not yep. even the eels, just yeah. the, and liquor. The, and that liquor. Yeah. I didn't understand it. Yeah. And My it, family are all South London, so they were all b- big fans of pie, mash and liquor. And I never went down the eel route, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy the pie, mash and liquor, but it would be a far bigger event to them Mm. than it was to me. I guess it's wrapped up in nostalgia in that way. I'm suddenly tired of talking about food and want to discuss my career a bit more. Well, can I, we do that? Yeah, we can. We can move on to that. Um, <laughs> we don't have to. What, what's kind of drawn you to bring John back for this big tour? And it's a big tour, and I think it's, it's, it's something that always strikes me with comedians is when they go on tour, or more, it's tr- quite traditional that when stand-ups go on tour, they go on a tour. It's a good... Is it three months or four months? Well, yes, and the re- the reason for that is is you 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 plot your dates in, and you say it's just going to be January to the middle of March, yeah. and then certain theatres you want to play can only do April the fourth. Yeah. So okay, well, 
we'll stick that one in because yeah. it's going to be a, a good banker, that one. And then you get an, a, an someone else wants, they can do the 7th of April and then it extends yeah, beyond your original. It. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, I guess I love touring. Um, I, I, I have a few strands as John Triplett now. You know, I, I don't do tally really. Mm. Uh, I do the odd little cameo appearance. But apart from my only TV series in 97... 500 bus stops, which is still on DVD. It's still, people like it, you know. Uh, and I did a few Jonathan Ross Saturday Zoo. I've not really been a TV character. It's been radio. You know, I've done a lot of radio series. Yeah. And and I've made them all at home, you know, on my own little, started oh, wow. off on a cassette recorder. And uh, and still, even now, it's just a, it's a 90s Roland VS1680. You know, you can buy them on eBay for 200 quid. But that's what I'm comfortable with. I'd, you know, I tried logic and all that, and yeah. I couldn't get to grips with it because it's the workflow, isn't it? You got to you got to have a good workflow, and I do all the voices, and I have to be able to work quite quickly. And so that's by the way, getting back to what I was, what were we talking about? Uh, oh, it's fascinating there. I think you've 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 stum- you've you've mentioned something that I think is key. There is learning something and getting good at it rather than constantly going, "Here's the new upgrade, here's the new mm. update," because then you're setting. Logic might be able to do loads more, but mm. you're setting yourself back a year or two to get to the level you were on the one that you know that's well, it. and that's well. Know, ultimately, it can be a backwards yeah, thing because ultimately, it's not. Especially with what I do, it's not the quality of the of the actual sound. It's it's the quality of the words of what's what I'm saying. Yeah, and uh, if I'm doing John's wife, I need to be able to access very speed instantly. Yeah, you know, and and I I remember moving from my Porter Studio. You know, I did my first radio series for the BBC that got Sony nominated on a blinking Tascam 244, you know? Yeah. And the BBC never knew because they, if they'd known, they wouldn't have aired it. Yeah. But I'm, it's many years ago now. I'm happy to sort of trumpet the really? fact that they were duped because <laughs> um, it was good enough. I knew it was. But I could access very speed because yeah. I'd slow down the tape a bit and record Mary's voice. So she'd say, hmm, John, hello. Yeah, all right, love talking a bit slower than perhaps it would come out. Well, then you press uh, the button again, it goes to normal speed, and you go, hello, John, you all right, love? Yeah. And, and it's got picked up a bit of female characteristics, uh, a bit of sibilance, which for some reason seems to happen when you speed things up. And and when I moved to an ADAT, this um, digital thing that came in in the uh, late 80s, I couldn't do it. It took about a minute to increment the speed very slowly. So about a minute later, I'd get to the, the tape speed I needed and I'd lost the inspiration. And yeah. then, you know, I, I need to be able to check things instantly. So it's all about the workflow. And I've just stuck with this uh, this machine. I've just done a Christmas special that is uh, going out. I don't know when this is um, going out. You perhaps don't know yet. Oh, this will be going out in the new year. So it'll be okay. after the Christmas well, special, I'd imagine. But Yeah, it'll still be on the... Yeah. Uh, all my stuff's on BBC Sounds now. Yeah. I think I've done about 11 or 12 series now on, on radio Fantastic. and then almost all of them had been done at home yeah uh, or, or in i've just done this was done in a, a wardrobe yeah. hey where we met yeah yeah <laughs> but i recorded it in a wardrobe in my flat in leicester yeah with a with a sort of ra- a clothes rail of coats to dampen the sound yeah and that's what i love about radio it's just so versatile yeah you can do it anywhere i once was acting i went back to acting uh to do a kids tv series but i had to do that in the daytime and in the evenings I had to do a, a series for Radio 4 of the Shuttleworths. So I did that in my hotel bedroom. 
Amazing. And it was on the A1. You'd think I was a bit noisy, but it was triple glazing. And I was uh, able to open this. It had a big wardrobe, and I put a duvet on each door and sat in, almost inside the wardrobe so <laughs> the sound was nice and dead. Yeah. And I recorded the, the, the radio show at night, and it, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That And again, I think you're completely right, is people will record things in this perfect situation and then spend ages trying to make it sound imperfect and trying to get un- unknowingly get the effect of having two duvets over wardrobe doors and sitting in a wardrobe and recording it. And yeah, if you don't tell them how you got to that result, then... Mm. They don't know. But you they don't, they're going to assume you've you've gone these specific routes. It's like no, I just I you can do it in TV as well. I was watching an old episode of Father Ted last night, yeah. um, and there's some really dodgy sort of cheap video effects in it. Yeah, and and I just thought, but the writing is so good, and the acting is so good, and the inspiration is so good. It's that one where the the, the priests all end up in a women's lingerie shop. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And it just, I was just laughing, killing myself laughing, because it's just about the characters. And it's it's what you do, not how you do it, really. Um, This relates also to music. When I had my publishing deal, I was, for a while, I was trying to write songs for. For five star, for God's sake. Right. Um, well, I was I was working with a guy yeah. who who had written Rain or Shine and Systematic, mm-hmm. and they paired. They had this thing the publishers they would pair two people together. Like he was good on keyboards and sequences, and they thought, well, my lyrics are quite quirky. Let's get them together. And we wrote a couple of songs, but it didn't really happen. But the whole ethos for recording then in the eighties was get, get the snare sound as big and loud as you can. Get that kick drum. Yeah, sounding them, and you'd spend hours doing that, and the vocal—that was the—you'd t- you'd do a vocal over several days, and you'd drop it in, bit by bit. Yeah. Okay, we're just going to drop you in for the word love, and uh, coming up, you know, because and, and that's not how it should be. No, because, I agree. and that's why so many of the eighties records sound so sort of anodyne, and uh, they have a particular quality. But I mean, you should really do a vocal in one. Yeah. I'd, yeah. You know, yeah. And no, if it great. wasn't right, do it again. Didn't hurt the four tops. Yeah. Um, I think it's 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 interesting though because I think whatever bit of technical information you hear or learn is the one that you're going to obsess over. I mean, when I was working on an album because an album I loved, I'd seen a documentary where they l- l- literally just hung an SM58 over the drums and recorded oh. it like that. I was like, and it's my favorite sound and all this that's not always going to work in every room and with every drum kit and, and, and things like that. But because I'd heard that's how they did it, then when I tried it on, on, on something I was working, I was like, all right, that's... It might not always be the way, but because that was the one that I'd heard, this is how you do it, I was obsessed mm. with that approach rather te- than just te- going, yeah. how, that, what works best in this room in this moment? Well, technology can, can... If technology gets in the way of the performance mm-hmm. and the inspiration, then forget technology because... I mean, the number of times I'd, I'd record a demo on my cassette porter studio and the publisher would go, hey, that's good. That will get, we'll get you in the studio to yeah. make that a proper demo. Yeah. And you'd come out with something really anodyne and yeah. just insipid. And they'd go, oh, the song's sort of not as good now. And uh, it's because you were, you'd spent hours sequencing a little trumpet part that was, wasn't even a trumpet. Yeah. And so, I mean, I put out, I'd got a song called The Angels Are Crying Too that I put out on uh, 
an album and it was just on port studio and people people loved that but i tried to do demos of it and uh, in the in the, the publisher's studio and it just didn't work just didn't couldn't recreate that that lovely spontaneity yeah I th- same with filming because i've made a couple of films as, as john shuttleworth yeah. uh, the best one by far is it's nice up north which was shot by martin parr the international right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, photographer who, who's a good friend and uh i met him when he, he photographed me for the for the guardian uh when five and the bus stops was coming out and we we both have sort of similar obsessions with the minutiae of life and uh particularly sort of northern uh, uh life and uh well he takes photographs of light switches you know and they go for 10 grand you know yeah but um so so we made this film and he just filmed me going up to shetland to see if it gets nicer the further north you go and we literally had no agenda uh, other than just chatting to people and going further and further north and that was the beauty of it when i did five and a bus stops i wanted to have some of that spontaneity but because it was a bbc budget and we we had a quite a bit of a crew it ends up all being scripted and, and all the spontaneity and the accidental things that happened ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And, and it was such a shame. It was good, but, but it, it, it's nice up north. Suddenly we had these, we met a, a street cleaner up an alleyway and, and the conversation became about the rusty drain pipe and whether it needed painting with, um, and I was trying to, as John, trying to think of uh, a new painting with a, a coat of, and I couldn't think of the name of the painting, went uh, Oxide. Red oxide paint, and we started talking about that, and 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 it, and so so this this guy created his own little character, you know, and and then he went off, and uh, and then another guy came up, and and he didn't seem he was a bit embarrassed about the camera, so I just in my voiceover afterwards said, "It's funny you meet one nice person, and then you meet one nasty one," <laughs> you know. So the, the, these people who are just ordinary people become characters in the narrative. Yeah, that was such a lot of fun, but I want to do more stuff like that. I but I've become that. a bit lazy. Yeah. That's the thing that I would say you have to guard against. It's, it's not necessarily complacency. It's laziness. It's, it's as you get older, you just kind of, you spend longer um, thinking about things and, and do, rather than just doing them. Like when you, when I was 18, I just did Jilted John. I just, yeah. I've got to record it. And I need to, I think you've got to remember that and just, just bloody do it. I'd say that to anyone who wants to do something creative, record, film, radio show just do it this is what the podcast is all about yeah, of course exactly. you're just, doing just getting it. up and, uh, and doing it yourself and i think that's the perfect point i think you can get lost in in procrastination in in over a, a paralysis through analysis and all that kind of thing of just going i don't know or is is this gonna like you may now go well is this trip up north to see if it gets better the further north you go is this going to produce anything good is it do you know what i mean you can stop yourself rather than just going yeah let's well the, let's yeah with it. i mean with film specifically the big problem is money mm. um it's getting less like that now everyone can make their own film on yeah. an iphone yeah. but a few years ago i remember somebody a friend was waiting for a budget of two million pounds to come through right. that's a lot of money yeah. but it was to make a film and they had the cast line up and, and then a few months later how's it going well we're still waiting on the money and then a few months later, well, we've lost our backer, but we're hoping to get another one. The film never got made. Yeah. And and that, you know, meanwhile, I'd gone and made It's Nice Up North. Yeah. For, for nothing, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's the Arctic Monkeys. That's popped into my head. Then They just did it, didn't they? Yeah, they just, completely. And they're brilliant. I mean, And they just asked as well. They would ask Sh- Shane Meadows 
to do a music video for them. I was like, yeah, all right. Whereas most people go, I could never, you could never fit. No, we figured it out. I should ask him because I've met him and he, he's a fan. So Yeah, well, perfect. But he's I'm the too lazy guy. to ask him. Well, <laughs> that's a perfect point to wrap things up on. What can people expect f- from this this new tour, this the 2020 tour that's going to be up and down the country? Is it, I assume it's going to be a lot of the the classics and hits. Are we going to get updates of yeah. what John's been up to, of <clears> his <throat> life now? What's the plan? It's, it's a bit of that. It's a bit of, uh, bit of the old, uh, a lot of the old, but a yeah. lot of new as well. Um, I wrote a song called Rapidly Downhill, which is, that's a new one. Um, it was on a radio show, but... That's that's a, I'm, I think that's going to go down very well. That's all about. I just you know people say when someone's ill, terminally ill, they're going rapidly downhill. But the phrase itself is quite exciting, isn't it? It sounds like <laughs> yeah. going rapidly downhill is fun. Yeah. So John's written this song saying, "Going rapidly downhill, rapidly downhill. The view's exciting, life's enticing, even when you're gravely ill. Going rapidly downhill." Like skiing on snow, what a way to go. Hurry up and write your will. <laughs> Rapidly downhill. I love it. Yeah. That's going to be but great. There's a pun in this. All my shows have a pun, terrible yeah. pun. My favourite is um, The Minotaur and other mythological creatures. Yeah. I had one foot in the gravy. Yeah. 2000 and John, going, going back a bit. But this one's John Shuttleworth's back because I am back after a bit of a, a rest, but. He's got a problem with his back. So he's going to be talking about that. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, th- thank you very much for your time. It's been a, p- a pleasure. And I, lo- I look forward to catching the return of John. Before we go, actually, <clears throat> tell me about your, your new book that's also out, out this year. Yeah, I'm not that lazy. That's what I've spent most of this year writing. I was going to say, we've just ended on talking of laziness, and then you're like, I've got a book, actually. <laughs> that, that, that takes a lot of effort. <laughs> well, it's called Two Margarines and... And not other mythological creatures. Two margarines <laughs> and other domestic dilemmas. Yeah. And it's basically a day in the life of John Shuttleworth. And it's like he's writing it into his dictaphone. And he's just walking around, uh, getting in the way of his wife, but uh, <laughs> trying to look for domestic dilemmas. Like, here's one. How do you... What happens when the the dishwasher door is open? How can you avoid bashing your ankles on it? The answer is you can't. It's uh, insurmountable, that problem, which is probably why world leaders have never discussed it. Uh, the microwave plate, how, when it comes off the thingy in the middle, well, John, it's, a couple, it's called a coupler. It says in my Sanyo manual, it's a coupler. How, how do you get the plate back on? It takes a lot of effort. So it's, it's, it's silly dilemmas yeah, like that, you know. I love it, I love it. Um, choosing the right bag to go to the supermarket. Should you, uh, do you have to use one from that particular supermarket? Or can, <laughs> would, would they be offended if you go in with the, a Sainsbury's bag to an Asda? I love it. What happens when, when they give you the, re- say, do you want, see, I, I'm going back to me now. When they say, do you want your receipt? I have a real dilemma because I don't know what to say. Yeah. Because I want to save paper, but at the same time, what if it says £584 on there and it was only 12 Yeah. And I need some record. Also, John feels that, uh, slipping back finally into John again, for the last time, uh, what happens if it's a trick? Scroobius. You know, on the way out, the store detective might say, can I see your receipt, sir? 
those goods look stolen. You've got no backup, have you? Yeah. They could arrest you. They could make you pay for everything again. Almost all of these are things I've encountered in the last a, a week, which is is fantastic because I, I I genuinely had it in 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 in, in the co-op yesterday. They asked if I wanted my receipt, and as I was leaving, I was like, "Does that show a lack of confidence yes. in their own?" Where's that they're saying you might want to return this? So I've said yeah. no, I don't want to receive. But uh, hang on, you, your suggestion yeah. I might want to return some of these. Uh, have you just sold me a load of, of rubbish that I'm going to be like, well, I need I need my money back on this. This was below par, so it's a it's a scary one. Well, my solution is um, about you know not letting the store detective get you is to have a selfie taken <laughs> with the store assistant, and you know. Perhaps you get the next customer who's waiting patiently in the line to take it of you with the thumbs up, you know, and then you can show that on your phone to the store detective on your way out. What do you think of that one? I like it. No paper wasted. It's, no. it's the eco solution. <laughs> Thank you. We will end it this time. Thank you very much for uh, for everything there. It sounds fascinating. I'm looking forward to the book and the tour now. Is the book going to be on sale on the tour? It is, actually, yeah. Like, yeah. The book's out in February, but the tour starts in January. Yep. And um, there'll be uh, copies available from, yeah. Excellent. It's a paperback. I thought long and hard. They wanted it to be like a coffee table book, you know? Yeah. Costing a lot of money. I said, no, I want a cheap little paperback. Because, I don't know about you, but I only, I only read, well, I read mostly at night. Yeah. Uh, and then just nod off. And it's that kind of book. It's a, a nice, gentle reassuring little cosy paperback that you can just take an holiday as well but yeah. you know i think it'll, it, people will nod off mid-chapter you know? <laughs> it's that good it's a shining endorsement well thank you very much cheers cheers You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Graham Fellows. I hope you enjoyed that. I loved getting into it with this guy. He's such an interesting dude. He's had a hell of a career. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As I mentioned at the end, tonight, Wednesday the 19th, he's in. He's at um, Lowry Salford, then Newcastle Tyne Theatre and Opera House, Scumfort Plowright, Wakefield Theatre Royal, Margate Theatre Royal, Brighton Old Market, London Leicester Square Theatre, Stafford Gatehouse, Manchester Dance House, Scarborough Spa Theatre, Bromsgrove Atrix Theatre, Tewksbury The Roses, Nottingham Playhouse, Edinburgh Queen's Hall, Glasgow King's Theatre, Aberdeen Arts Centre, Louth Riverhead, Bury St Edmunds Theatre Royal, Cambridge Junction, London Bloomsbury, Wimborne Tivoli Theatre, Exeter Phoenix, Winchester Theatre Royal, Swansea Pontedal, I don't know how to say that, um, Arts Centre, Stamford Arts Centre and Barnsley Civic. That's between now and mid-April. So loads of opportunities to go and catch uh, the, the, the return of the legend, the icon that is John Sh- Shuttleworth. And guess what? I'm going to give you an extra episode this week. In fact, I'm going to do that that thing again where I get Buddy Peace to cut something out of the outro and put it in the intro. Um, so I'm going to s- s- say this next bit as if I'm shocked um, and only just thought of it because I have, but not when you, you... You're going to have already heard it in the intro. Um, let's do it now. Oh, and also, before I go into it, 
I'm going to give you a bonus podcast on Friday. I'm going to give you a chat with Rich Wilson, a comedian and podcaster. I'm a big fan of his Insane in the Membrane podcast. And I saw his, his Fringe show and I thought he was wonderful. And he's got a Soho Theatre run coming up. So we're going to have a chat and I'll give you that on Friday. Um, there we go. So, buddy, you'll now have to cut that in, and you will have already heard it, and now you're hearing it in the outro as well, and you know that you peep behind the curtains. But if anything, it's an advert for the the beast of a producer that is Buddy Peace, who produces all the best podcasts in the best ways. So, um, And he's got his own podcast, Buddy's Buddies. So go and check that out. It sounds beautiful. Um, that's it. I will be back next week. Who have I got next week? Obviously, on Friday, as you just heard, I've got Rich Wilson, who's an absolute dude. I love his podcast, and you'll hear about that in the chat. So next week, I've got May Martin, a wonderful comedian and writer who's got a great new series on Channel 4 coming out soon. So we will be having a good old chinwag about that. So, um, yeah, I will see you Friday and next week. All right. Ta-ta! Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.